0: Cats? I, I, I've never heard of cats either. Well, good morning. God bless you. Please find your seats. It's so good to be with you this morning. I'm glad you're here with us. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and one of the elders, pastors, or ushers will bring you a Bible. We want everyone to have their Bible here this morning with them. Please raise your hand if you need a Bible. Everyone good? Great. Let's open to Colossians chapter 3. We've come as far as verse 12. Uh Last week we left off Sunday not sure, you know, Lord's coming anytime. We're like, okay, we, I, week by week, right? We never know when the Lord's coming back. So um, we got as far as verse 11, and Paul was explaining to us the true gospel, right? There is neither Jew nor Greek, right? We read, or uh, circumcised nor uncircumcised, talking about the physical aspect, not the spiritual aspect of circumcision. Barbarian, you know, that's a non-Greek, Scythian, right? That's typically a nomadic or somebody that would have been Iranian at that time. Slave nor free, he says, but Christ is all in all. You know, many, we talked about it last week, many of you have heard of the social gospel that's been going around. Galatians chapter 1-6 would describe that as an alternate gospel, okay? It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ by any means, to try to take and elevate someone's either race, gender, you know, fill in the blank there. And we read here the antidote to all of that. Christ, Jesus, is all in all. And that's really the main point. It's not even worth having additional conversations really beyond that point, because Jesus Christ is all in all. He says, therefore, in verse 12, As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Now he begins to tell us, therefore, because you understand Christ is all in all, because no longer are you looking for temporal affairs of this world to fulfill what only can be fulfilled in your heart through the eternal, not the temporal, now I can begin to give you the meat now I can begin to give you the meat, and we're not going to be talking about things that are passing away or fading or where you're going to be putting all your effort and energy and time into those things that are temporal. Now that we're all on the same page, Paul is saying, let's, let's get into the meat of the gospel here, and what is this character, what does it look like for the Christian, the new man, right? We're a new creation in Christ Jesus, amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you God that you will always uh, anoint your word and go before it. We pray right now you'll sow it into the hearts of your people. Lord, that I would just disappear and get out of the way, Lord. And all that would be go all that would go forward is your your just truth, your love, your mercy, your grace. Lord, prick hearts here this morning. Begin with mine. Lord, we desire to put on love. We know it's the bond of perfection, Lord. We We pray that, God, you will meet us in this time. You will lead us. And, Lord, we will leave here far better than when we came, Jesus, from meeting with you in your holy word. We ask this, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in your holy name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. So, again, turn your attention to verses 12 through 17 here as we look at the character of the new man. Therefore, as the elect of God... Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. You may remember last week I talked to you what that Greek term, the idea of putting on. Think of it as clothing. It, it connotes the same idea. If you would come home from work and you have work clothes, you change your clothes, you put off, you put on. That's exactly what it's describing here. It's intentional in the Greek. The idea behind it is not something that just happens, but you intend it, you set it before you, and then you do it, right? It's not just hearing, but doing So he says here in the Greek, he says, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility. Now that word mercies, just so you understand, in in the context of the Greek, it's the kindness in action. It's kind of like when we say, what is wisdom? You would say the application of knowledge, right? That the appropriate application of knowledge is by definition scripturally wisdom right? That's what we learn in the Hebrew when we see that. Well, in the Greek, it's no different here. It's giving us an an application to it, and it's saying that these mercies are that kindness that he's going to tell us put into action, okay? And he goes on and states it again, kindness. Why is he saying kindness? Because if you weren't putting it into action, how could you possess it? How could you have it? You must have it. What's poured in can be poured out. So he's saying kindness, and then humility, meekness, strength under control, long-suffering, bearing with one another. This is an important, important passage, verse 13, bearing with one another. You know, I think how often growing up, you know, in the idea of even the first century church, the Christians stayed together, right? They were, they were in a community, right? Acts 2 to 42, we can look at that, but they gathered together, they broke bread, they prayed together, they studied the Word of God together. They came together in all things, and they would just grow together that way, bearing each other's burdens. There was never a point where, uh, you know, somebody said, well, if you don't have this color carpet, I'm going to fellowship somewhere else, right? You don't have these comfy chairs, the recliners. Why don't we have recliners in church? We know why, because you'd all be asleep, right? But But, you know, we go to movie theaters and they got recliners. Or we used to go to movie theaters and they had recliners, right? And we think about these things. How many times have you heard, and be honest here, where someone said, you know what? I'm not going to fellowship at this church anymore because I don't like the fill in the blank. Anything other than the failure to teach the word of God, right? Any other heretical or anything apostate, you know, from an apostasy perspective. But anything else... God is the one that brings us and sends us, right? He, he's the one that calls us where we're to be, and he knits us together. And we're to be bearing each other's burdens. We're to, to be bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also must do. But above all, circle that, when he says all 30-something times in this letter, he uses the word all, very inclusive. These things, he says, put on love. He says, truth without love is not representing Jesus Christ accurately. It must be love and truth, which is the bond of perfection. Do you see that there? And let the peace of God, not the peace of man, not our ideas, not our wisdom, not our comfort, but the peace of God. Not our peace that we lather up, not things that we find to be peaceful, but God's peace. Rule in our hearts to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns with spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Right? Doesn't worship and praise change our hearts when we come in? It's one of the first things we do to prepare us before we We sit under the word of God, we sing, we lift our voices on high to the one true God. Why do we do that? Because one, he's worthy, of course, but two, because it prepares our hearts just as much to enter into his throne room, to be worshiping him that way. We come into fellowship with him. I mean, when we look in Revelation and we read in chapter four, five, six, right before the, the great tribulation begins in chapter six, we see in the throne room of heaven, all of the angels, what are they doing? They're worshiping, right? They're worshiping, and that's, we're worshipers. We were created to worship. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if we kind of go back through this here, we start with this word in verse 12, this idea of the elect. Now, there's been so much discuss, you know, discussion on this, and scholars have written books. I mean, we've seen philosophies, of man that had been created on this. You may be familiar with them, Arminianism, Calvinism, where they've tried to take these words and they've tried to go through and expound and literally write chapters and books about, well, here's what God meant. No, God is not grammatically challenged. You shouldn't be frightened from this word elect. It shouldn't be something that the the Christian shies away from, right? It's simply taken as our destiny to fulfill, our calling. We are the elect. We are the chosen, right? Is there people that are not chosen? Those that reject Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, what do you mean? How can it be both ways? Because that's the algorithm God chose. It's, that's the way he presented the, the algorithm, if I can say it that way. He's sovereign, right? I, I don't think there's anybody here who would deny that God is sovereign, amen? Sovereign. He also gives us free will, amen? One without the other... Doesn't form formulate the equation correctly. You end up lacking, because then either you're a robot and you're forced into following, which means there is no love from our part as not a requirement, but as a general response of thankfulness. And we how many times do we see in scripture, we're gonna even read it today in this chapter, and we come to the Lord with thanksgiving, right? Our prayers are with thanksgiving. It's, it's a willing heart. Well, We can be willing all day long, but if God wasn't sovereign, if he didn't possess, if he wasn't the God of the universe, if Jesus Christ couldn't come down before the very foundations of the world to plan reconciliation by drawing us through the work on the cross, forgiving our sins, past, present, and future, and reconciling reconciling us to himself, that part of the equation would fail because we still wouldn't be able to enter into what? The Holy of Holies, the way the Old Testament saints couldn't. But now that shroud's been torn. It's open. We can go as far in. We can press as far into God as we want to. He's put it in our, our space. You ever heard the saying, you know, the balls in your court? It's in our space now. How close do you want? How much do you want to pour into Christ Jesus? How close do you want to be with God? He's, He's made that available to all of us that receive Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the first thing. The second thing is in verse 12, also this idea of tender mercies. If, if something is tender, and the idea in the Greek was tender to the touch, you, you could touch something, it felt, it feels tender to the touch, right? It's sensitive. The, the apostle would have them to feel the slightest touch of another's misery. I just want you to understand that's what that's saying. So you have that experience. You, you see someone, you come into their, their sphere, Right. And you, if you know them or if you're being tender, then you can immediately discern there's something sometimes off. Maybe they're hurting. Maybe they're sad, sorrowful, as, the, as Ecclesiastes 7.3 says. Maybe they're anxious, Matthew 6, right? Caring for things of this world. Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe they're joyful and you can discern that too, right? But that ability, that idea to be so tender that you can... You can literally receive and discern those around you, what they're feeling, and also what, may God, what word God may have for you to give to them to encourage them. Or maybe a hug. A hug goes a long way, doesn't it? You know, just letting them know that you love them. And this kindness, the, the idea here that you would treat others as dear to you, that you would, as you would like to be treated, Right? It was used in those days of wine that would grow mellow with age. Okay, if you, <clears throat> you let that kind of continue to age and age, it would lose some of its harshness, if I could say it that way. We know what that means, alcoholic content. It would lose some of its hardness, right? It's the same word, actually, we see in Matthew chapter 11.30 in the Greek. When Jesus says, My yoke is easy. It's that same word, actually, in the Greek. I don't know if you've ever studied that, but it's very interesting what Christ is trying to communicate to us there, that it loses its harshness. Not that it wasn't harsh, but it loses it because of Christ Jesus. And then we can say that humility, which was not considered a virtue among the ancient Greeks, right, is the parent, if I can say it that way, of both meekness and long-suffering. Humility is the parent of both meekness and long-suffering. You see, meekness shows how humility will affect your actions towards others. That's what it does there, right? And it doesn't become impatient, short, or filled with, um, you know, resentment towards one another. There is none of that. There is none of it's not a weakness. It's a strength in Christ Jesus. Verse 13 tells us we're to sustain, to bear, to bear and endure. We're told to forgive one another. Well, this is a pattern that Jesus Christ gave us in forgiving others that we too would receive forgiveness, right? It comes from God himself. Understanding the way that Jesus forgave us always makes us more generous and willing To forgive others. It's easy to forgive others when we look and recall exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. Amen? Sometimes it's hard to forgive others when we we aren't putting our eyes on Christ. When we have our eyes on ourselves or on our pain or on our hurt. It's so easy to say, I can't forgive them. No, we possess the capacity to forgive Everyone, And not only are we, do we possess the capacity, we are called to forgive everyone. Some of the hardest things we have to do in this life is to forgive someone that's wrong, someone we loved or love, but we're called to do it. And it's only through God's strength we can do it, to bear and to endure, right? It, it makes us generous in the way we love others. Verse 14, he says, Ab- above all these things to put on love, this is the word agape, right? It's, it's actually the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you possess this agape love. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that way. You know, I, I would say to you, we don't naturally in the carnality of flesh before we were saved, we don't possess that ability, but as believers in Christ, we now do. If we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, if we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if we're producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we have that capacity and that presence upon us. We're told that that is the bond of perfection. Do you know what that means? He's he's saying here that is the example of maturity, that you are fully grown, that you are fully grown that way. You are marked by love. You're tender in love. I I you know I'm a foodie. I use food analogies a lot. Um, it's like taking that steak, man, and it's like marinating it like two days in like olive oil with a little oregano, little Italian seasonings, and you poke the meat, you really make sure it gets into the meat. Some of you are going, I hate meat. Okay, your veggie, you're a veggie. Your veggies, your broccoli, poke your little broccoli in there. All right, whatever your thing is, right? And you turn around, and after a couple days, you pull it out, and you put your broccoli on the grill. It just doesn't sound the same. You put that steak, man. I think of like the Flintstones. Boom! You put that steak right on the grill, right? And it's sizzling, and it's tender, and you cut it, and it's just, oh, man, it like melts in your mouth. You're hungry now, huh? It melts in your mouth, right? It's just so tender, and it's, it's the same thing Christ does with us. When you spend time with Jesus... You come away different. You don't come away hard. You don't come away, you know, callous. No, you come away tender with the fragrance and the fingerprints of Christ, tender in your heart, supple, easily to be formed. Maybe you aren't so convinced on what you thought. I'm right. My boss is wrong. What's going on? This coworker's wronged me. You spend time with Jesus. You're like, you know what? That's all right. You know, we'll do it this way. I just wanna, I wanna, I want a brother to come to the Lord. I want a sister to come to Lord. That's more important to me than, than being right. How could that happen? Because you were marinated in Jesus Christ's love. That's how that happened. You were marinated in the love of Christ. You're tender, man. You're tender. And the longer you spend, you ever smoke meat? I love, man. Phew get that smoker going, you put some meat on there, brisket, how about it, right? Love brisket. You can't put brisket on there for an hour. Don't anybody here put brisket on your smoker for an hour, right? You'd be like, especially at 200 degrees. No, 14 hours. If you're down south, 16, 18, they're serious. But we'll give them a little room, 14 hours. You wake up at four o'clock in the morning. Right? By six, you're ready to eat. My wife knows we've done this. She, she says, Where are you going? I've got a mission. And I'm heading out to the smoker, right? And we'll set that meat up on there. And the longer it cooks, what happens? The more tender it is. When you take it out, I mean, literally with a fork, right? You could just pull it apart. The brisket's so tender. I mean, it's amazing. you get the spiritual application here? The more you press into Jesus, the more you spend time with Christ, the more tender, the more supple you're going to come away. The more you're going to be usable by God. The less you're going to try to hold on to the things here. That is the bond of perfection. It's marked by love. And then in verse 15, our pastor here, Paul, says, let it rule. The Greek word means to arbitrate, right? I like what Meyer once said in his commentary. Let's, let God's peace Act as an umpire. That's what this means here. Let it rule. Let it act as an umpire. This is to let the peace of Christ judge and decide and govern your hands. For that we can all be thankful, can't we? We can all be thankful. And in verse 16, the word of Christ dwell in you. It keeps you, right? What's the idea here in the Greek? It's to settle down. And make a home in your heart. That's the picture in the Greek. We lose some of that in the English with the Christ dwell, but the idea is to settle down and make home in your heart. That's the original intention of that word. Not something good for a moment, but then no longer regarded as the circumstance passes. No, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about something that takes extremely deep roots and makes itself. At home, in our hearts, whether it's reading the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, and memorizing the Word of God. All of the above. All of the above here. You see, the Word of God provides all wisdom, friends. There is no wisdom apart from the Word of God. One of the wisest mans to ever walk the earth, Solomon, right, with all his glory, with all the things he had, paled in comparison to the wisdom and the word of God, and even through all his wisdom, without contentment in Christ Jesus or God alone, he was melancholy. He was sorrowful. He was never content, because again, it wasn't applied in his right, life correctly. He had all this knowledge, but he didn't apply it correctly. God's word tells us and teaches us how to apply every jaw and tittle to our life. And the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, gives us application. Gives us application that's perfect for the circumstance or situation we happen to be going through at any time in our lives. We can always come to God. We can always come to his word. And we can find rest and just receive all that he has if we let the word of Christ dwell in us. Why? Because it's to warn us. It's to instruct us. God has never done anything out of maliciousness to harm or hurt his children. It's always to draw us to proper and right understanding because inside of you, there's a war going on. There's a battle. The Bible teaches in Galatians 5.16 in the first half of that passage that your flesh is warring against your spirit. Romans chapter 7, Paul describes that when he says, the things I want to do, I do not do. The things I do not want to do, that is what I do. And we are no different than the Apostle Paul or Pastor Paul that way. Every one of us here, if we're being honest and transparent, we are struggling with the same things. There's days we wake up and we don't want to do the right thing. We don't want to, you know, go the extra mile, as Jesus would say. We don't want to pass through Samaria. We want to go around Samaria to go to Israel. Right? Or Israel. To go to Jerusalem, I meant to say, right? We don't want to go through Samaria. But we miss the opportunity to be used by God. And I think that's a greater travesty than anything. Pastors and teachers in the church, even here, are admonished. The idea here is instructed and warned. By the scriptures, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, so to minister the word to God of the saints, right? The word of Christ is dwelt in you faithfully, that it finds a spontaneous expression of worship inside of you. Praise in the Christian, you know, that as we gather in the assemblies that you recognize the word of God going forward and there's almost, can I say it this way? You know, you've heard the idea of, of dripping with dew. Well, dripping with the Holy Spirit. I picture the oil that runneth over and just literally just covers and, and permeates everything. You know, we used to sing songs to God, not just about God. How our worship today and so much of the church has changed. So much of it is horizontal. That's not, that's not worship. That's praise. But by biblical definition, that's not worship. It's wonderful to sing. hey, God's done good things to you. God's done good things to me, right? That's Hey, we can praise God like that. But when we worship God, we're singing to God. Please read Revelation. Please go back in Scripture and look what it looks like when the angels are praising and worshiping God. It's far different than what we think, and I'm, I'm, I'm blessed that our worship team is mindful of these things. We talk about this. We don't, we don't play certain music here. You know, there's, there's certain artists and bands that um, we don't play here because we don't like the doctrine that they teach, and we feel like the music would draw them back to that doctrine, and we don't do that because words matter, because when we're worshiping, our words matter. We're not just singing into the air. It's going into the heavenlies in the throne room of God. Otherwise, what you're really doing is praising. You're not worshiping. Again, we, we want an example of that. Go back to Genesis. Go back, go back to you know, Exodus, even. You know, go back and look. Remember when Moses came down the mountain? With uh, Joshua. Joshua met him. Moses was up on the mountain getting the pattern of the tabernacle and all the things that were going to apply. As he made his way back down, he says, What is that racket? That word in the Hebrew is the first word or connotation we see of what we would call praise today, not so much worship. Praise today. It's that first word in the Hebrew we see. And I remember I was taught this when I was a uh, pastor, John, at Calvary Chapel Fingers. I remember he's taught, we were going through this, we were, you know, an intensive on what worship is, and biblical understanding of worship. And I remember going through that, and I was was wrecked. Ever since then, I started to realize that music can be used for the Lord, or it can be used against the Lord. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? Like, it can be used, if you, you take a child, you've heard me say it, at a birthday party, I remember our, our oldest at his first birthday party, you know, he's 20 now, I, you know, it's hard, but I remember, I don't want to embarrass him, I don't know where he is, he's back there, okay, he's going to get embarrassed no matter what. So, my oldest is back, so, you know, you put on a little music, and at the first birthday party, what is he doing? We didn't have to teach him, we didn't have to teach him, so if some of you couldn't see what I was doing, he was, the, he was <laughs> He's wiggling, right? He's, this is before the wiggles, I think. He was, wiggle, you know, he was wiggling. Why? You ever seen that with a little baby? It's the cutest thing. You put on music, and they just start to move with the music. It's beautiful, right? We don't have to teach that because we are born to be worshipers. It's in us. It's innate. So we have that, and then all of a sudden, we see that word. What is that racket? what were they doing? They were actually engaging in an orgy, and they were turning around and worshiping the molten calf. That was praise and worship to a molten calf, the first time we see it used in Scripture. That's always a reminder for me that we need to be on guard when we worship. It's a privilege to worship God, right? And, and we're not just to do it in any way, but through what do we see are hymns and and songs that way, right? Spiritual songs, hymns, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Notice that we're not singing to each other. We're not singing to each other that way. Even contemporary songs are great, but they have to be used for worshiping. If they're not, they have no business in the church. I don't care how cool they are, what top 10 list they're on. Paul leaves us in this passage in verse 17 with a command. He says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do all, right? The new man lives his life, all his life for Jesus. There's no compartments. This is the struggle for the Christian. This is the struggle I see today more than any other time because we have so much creature comforts today. We have so much mammon in this world today that it's so easy to compartmentalize our lives. We go to work. You know, we come to church, maybe we come to, you know, Saturday, uh, you know, ladies study, men study, singles, you know, all the different ministries you have, the marriage, all the ministries you got in the church. And it's so easy to kind of compartmentalize our lives that when we're in this particular area, then our vernacular changes. We begin to say, praise God, or, you know, holy God, but in work, we don't do that. We, we, we kind of, we don't want to be in trouble with HR. We, we don't want to offend. Wait a minute, what? We're always going to be an offense because we have Jesus Christ, which is the truth. And if we really love somebody, we're not so much worried about being an offense as we are of drawing them to the one true gospel. I'm always wrecked in my heart when People apologize. when people apologize because, you know, they have something pertaining to Jesus that they don't want to offend other people. Please read Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Those that deny Christ Jesus, he will deny before the Father. That's heavy, man. We're to be giving thanks to the Father. He gave us a command all our lives, all his life for Jesus. We're only going to seek to do the things of God that way, not of man. He's going to preserve us in that, right? And that, when you do that and you worship Jesus that way, you immediately bring glory to the Father, don't you? You immediately bring glory to the Father. And for that, the glory to God. And that's what we see here. I like that. It just reminds us. It gets us right there. And look at verse eighteen, please. Wives, submit to your own husband. Underline own. You're not to submit to all men, wives. You know, it's God has made this so simple but powerful. He really has. He didn't complicate this. It's not. There's not a whole. I once heard uh, Damian Kyle say, uh, you know, it's not, there's not a whole book dedicated to just marriage. You know, okay, wives, you you read the the, the book according to such and such epistle for marriage. We, we don't see that in our Bible. It's sprinkled throughout the word of God. And it, it is actually very, very simple. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 22. I, I love the passage, if you hold your finger here, and turn to 1 Peter Three, I love the passage here, one, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Do you realize that that's what's happening? That ladies, if in your home, if you are saved and your husband isn't, or if you're saved and your husband claims to be saved, but he's not living as a godly man, do you realize that it's, you don't have to berate him? But just through your conduct and character that Jesus Christ will use you as a testimony to his life. You're a living epistle to be known and read by men and women. Just the power in that. Not even what we say sometimes, but our conduct, our character. Powerful. But he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Please notice that. In the Lord. Fitting in the Lord. So this is very clear here that if your husband asks you to do something contrary to Scripture, you don't have to do it. If he asks you to go out and harm somebody or do something that would be against God's law or commandments or statutes, if I can say it that way, you're not required to obey that, ladies. That's never been a biblical proposition. However, however, If it's not something that's an antithesis or against God's word, there should be a submission, a surrender. Why? Are you really really doing it for him or are you doing it in the Lord? You see, that's what it's about. You're doing it in the Lord. And I always said it this way. If you can't submit to the person standing in front of you, how can you submit to the invisible God? We all say we're going to do it, Well, Lord, I submit to you, I I, I surrender all, I I believe that. And then we kind of, we veer from that. And that's not what we read here. Ladies are like, come on, get on with the next verse. (laughs) Husbands, (laughs) love your wives. Very important, why? Because your wives are tender and they need that encouragement. They need that comfort, right? And do not be bitter. It's perfect. He knows what we have the capacity to do, men. We have the capacity to be bitter towards our wives that way. Again, you could read Ephesians 5.25 or 1 Peter 3.7, right? I think of even Ephesians 4.31, specifically on bitterness. And then he moves very carefully from there, right? And, And by the way, I'm not being cavalier and ducking that husbands. This is a work in progress, isn't it? This, this is a work in progress. We, we need to do those things. We want and desire those things. But I know I, I'm speaking firsthand. I certainly haven't arrived. I have not arrived. I, I, I love my wife. But are there times that I speak rashly? Are there, th- are there times that I put her in a, a, a situation that I correct her, but in so correction, I embarrass her? Are there times that I turn around and I'm I'm thinking more what's in my best interest than what's in the interest of my wife in that situation there? That's what this means. That's what this is talking about. It's, It's putting your wife before you, just as Jesus Christ put his bride, you and I, before himself by going to Calvary. It's heavy. We should take it serious. It's God's design for marriage. It's what it looks like. And then he goes to the children. So children, please listen. He says, obey your parents in all things. It says all things. It's very inclusive. Again, all, one of the 34 plus times. Why would he ever ask you to obey your parents all the time? Because he has given you your parents to lead you and draw you to Jesus. That's the role they play in your life. And some of you may be saying, but I didn't have a godly mom or dad. Let me me correct you in that. Your father in heaven has always been calling you and drawing you and desiring to spend time with you and sup with you. If your earthly father or mother has failed you, your heavenly father never will. He never will. So you can obey your heavenly father as well in all things. But he's talking about obeying parents here. He says that it is well-pleasing to the Lord. Again, we see that in Ephesians 6.1. And then he calls out fathers here. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers, we know a little bit something about that, don't we? We want the best for our kids. We want to push our kids. We want them to be the best athletes or, you know, on the soccer field, football field, ice hockey, rink, wherever it is on the ice. And sometimes we can, you know, what are you doing? You got to do this, you know. Um, we don't realize we can be a discouragement. You know, I really encourage you guys, listen to your wives, your helpmates in this area. My wife has been instrumental as a helpmate at allowing me know at times where I'm so focused on so many things to teach and make men soldiers for Christ because that's my aim and goal, that often I can have that callousness to their sensitivity and the feelings that they're still little people. They're still... You know, if they're born-again believers in Christ, they're God's children. It's, it's a hard balance, isn't it, guys? We want them to be men for Jesus. We have too many boys today in the world. You know what I'm talking about, you know, the Peter Pan syndrome. Mommy, you know, my, their wives become mommy. It's driving me just about top here at this point. We need men. In these coming days, we need men that are willing to stand up, to be the pastors of their home, to protect and love their wives so that women can fall under that sovereign place of God's hand and protection. And fathers, in so doing, we also need to bring that gentleness to our children without compromising truth. So often we don't want to do that. We're we we're busy, as you worried about... Um, You know, they got to be the best. Well, we discourage them in so doing. He goes on to bond servants. Now, today, this this is a willing servant. Today, that would be employed uh, to a a job. I mean, you're a bond servant when you go to work, aren't you? I mean, in theory, you're a bond servant. I mean, in theory, practically, you are a bond servant. What is the idea? Doulos in the Greek. What's that word mean? It's the idea that you're a willing hire. You're a willing servant compared to one that, let's say, was working off a debt. Maybe you were owned or something like that at one point. You're working off of debt. That's different. That's out of obligation. A bond servant is someone that's willing to go in and serve. I'm a bond servant, right? You're bond servants. Maybe you go in Monday through Friday, and you have agreed set time. They agree to a work schedule. You agree to a certain dollar amount. They're going to pay you for that work schedule. You're a willing servant. You willingly do the things they ask you to do. You're a bond servant here. Okay. So bondservants, obey in all things your master, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. In other words, not when the boss is around and not when other people are looking, but in sincerity of the heart, fearing God. Because why? God is always looking. No faking it till you make it right here. This needs to be genuine. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. One of my favorite passages, Colossians 3.23. I love to share this with, you know, in the, you know, my joke in the fellowship here, you know, we have the sheep and then obviously we have those that serve in ministry, the pastors and the elders. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll come to the pastors and sometimes, you know, we have to have very difficult conversations, you know, or the, even the elders, what's going on? Why are we doing that? You know, and vice versa, certainly an open bidirectionally, And we have those real conversations. And, they, and they, I can only imagine they hear this grace and this love and this truth on Sundays and Wednesdays, and all of a sudden, Pastor Matt's like, boom, what's going on? We're blowing it. How are we not loving every person that walks through these doors, you know, or whatever? Or you're leading a ministry, and, and how are you missing this, or you're missing that? How are we not doing all things heartily unto the Lord? And all of a sudden, the law comes out, Right? My, 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 one of my assistant, assistant pastors up at like Chapel, he used to, He's Pastor Scott, the senior pastor, of, you know, similar role. He says, he's, he's grace, man. He's love. The assistant pastor, he's the law. He's the law. He would be the guy that would go in there and have those conversations. But, you know, obviously it's in jest, but the idea behind it is, we need to do all things heartily into the Lord. It's, it's not just—it's every one of us. Are we serving? Are we—are we doing everything that way? You know, are there things that are falling through the cracks that we're just—we've just gotten compromised with? You know, I love it when the ushers come to to fellow—you know—fellowship here. They'll get here sometimes an hour and a half, sometimes maybe even two hours early. The elders. And they'll turn around and they'll walk the property, not so much in the winter as much when we don't have as so many people outside, and they'll look for trash. So that when people come, they find a clean environment. They find a place where they feel comfortable. They can sit down and rest without feeling, you know, what's going on here. That's doing all things heartily when nobody else is looking. They don't need a reminder. I don't have to text them, hey, what's going on here? Why is this? No, they take their calling an election. And they make their calling and election sure, right? It's the same idea. What what would it be like if I I said, well, you know, Sunday morning, I'm just not feeling it this morning. And I kind of show up a half hour late. You guys are going to be like, get rid of that guy. You know, let's get somebody who's going to read the word and be committed and be committed to Christ Jesus. Right? Now, I've applied all that to us. Allow me to, if you'll allow me, change that lens for a minute. How does that look for you all in your daily activities, in your events, in your work? You know, are you bringing all things heartily unto the Lord at your office, at your job, at your home, with your wife, with your children? You know, are you doing all things heartily? It's a command. It wasn't a suggestion. He said, whatever you do, whatever you do. I was always, um, that's why I've memorized, always wrecked by this passage. I love it. I always want to do the things that are well-pleasing to God. Do I blow it? All the time. But my desire is to do the things that are well-pleasing to God. I want to finish well. I want to finish well. If you look here, um, let's go into verse 24. He says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. What's our inheritance? What awaits us? Our eternal abode, right? Right? And he's describing really what's, I, I'm gonna just turn there quickly, Psalm 89. Just for time's sake, I'm gonna turn to Psalm 89 and look at verse 4. I think of this, remembering the covenants with David, you know, sorrow and lost blessings, but it was of Ethan the ezraite that wrote this, as inspired by the Holy Spirit. He said. <clears throat> Let me, let me go to verse 14. I meant to say not four. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Do you see that? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. We serve a righteous God. We, saw, we serve a law-abiding God that way. So when he says, knowing that, f- that from the Lord you will receive the reward... For what? For the righteousness, for the things that you that are right living of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus. You know, you can also look at James, as a matter of fact. Uh, Just for time, look at verses uh, 13 through 18, James chapter 3. I'll turn there quickly, James chapter 3. and Look at uh, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if, you have a, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. God is not partial. He's not a respecter of persons. I think that's a mistake the Christian makes. Well, God knows me. He knows what I mean. Oh, no. It doesn't work that way. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who what? Make peace by the peacekeepers, okay? But he who does wrong, chapter, verse uh, 25, chapter uh, 3 here, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. As we just read there also in James, you can also look at Romans chapter 2, 11, and it speaks about how there is no partiality. This isn't the the only place many people will ask me, well, well Pastor, where does it say that, that God is impartial? I thought God chose favor to whom he chose his favor. Yes, he does, but this is describing in judgment here, right? Verse 11 of chapter 2, for there is no partiality with God. There is none. And we have to understand that God is not a respecter of persons. Chapter 4, masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair knowing that there, you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly, that means the idea of being, you know, continue in strength, being strong that way. Earnestly in prayer, being vigilant, that's wakeful in the Greek. The idea behind it really means to be wakeful, being wakeful or vigilant, and in it with thanksgiving. Do you know what the first church did? You can go to Acts 2.42. This is what this church has been modeled after, Scripture, okay? Um, We don't have our own ideas. We um, don't—what we do here every morning, every Wednesday, every Sunday was done 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ himself when he would go into synagogues. He would read the Word. The scrolls were opened of Isaiah, the Old Testament scrolls, and he would read as we are reading the Word of God. He would then exegete. Exo meaning pulling out in the Greek. He would give understanding. And then at the very end of a Jewish synagogue service, they would have a time of application. And he would bring it back to the modern time or the days we're living. This is what has been done for thousands of years. There's nothing new to what we do here. It's God who's established this. But we don't just read the word of God every morning, right? Or every Sunday and Wednesday together, do we? If you look in chapter 2, verse 42, we see the first church begins to grow. If you look at verse 40, I'll back up. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized in that day. About 3,000 souls were added to them. Instant church, right? 3,000 souls added to a church, first church. And what did they do? They could have done anything. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the word of God, right? The traditions that was poured onto them, communion, what have you, and fellowship. That's why we're here today. That's why this church is open and remains open, because of the command of Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering of the saints, as were some or as some did back in that day, right? as we saw in the past. This is why we're here together in person, right? And then we also see what? They fellowship. They had a time to come together. What else did they do? They broke bread. They ate together, you know? We're going to be having a fast starting Monday. It's a church fast. Some of you, this will be your first fast with us. Many of you have done it five years with us. We go Monday through Friday, and we do a week-long fast, and there's a if you've never done a, a fast or anything like that, we have a book in the library, in the bookstore. You can purchase it. It's called God's Chosen Fast. But the idea behind it is it's not just enough to abstain from food. It's to spend time with the Lord. It's to spend time with the Lord, denying the flesh. You know, some folks will do a Daniel fast, we call that. You know what that means? That means vegetables only, right? And maybe you'll partake of just certain vegetables, and that's it. For some younger people in here, maybe... Um, it wouldn't, you know, denying themselves at such a young age, maybe it'd be better if they just maybe don't play video games or watch a TV or something like that for a week or, or whatever the Lord would give them. Those that have maybe medical concerns, maybe they have to do a, a different kind of fast because of diabetes or different things like that. But the idea is to deny the flesh, to deny our flesh. And that way we can hear and be in communion with God walking in the Spirit, intending all things of the Spirit. And then we come together on Friday, and we'll be meeting here at 5 o'clock. Lisa's making soup, right? We have broth, because if you haven't eaten in five days, we had somebody one time go out and eat a large meal afterwards. And uh, it's not a good idea, right? It'll bloat your stomach, you'll get sick. It's not a good idea. But... um, but we break the fast with a light broth, maybe some noodle, and we, we partake together, right? So we'll meet here at 5 o'clock. We do that. And then what I love is when people bring their journals and they write down all the things the Lord had shown them that week personally, individually, for you, what God has for you for this year, the way he wants to prepare your hearts for what's coming in these last days. And then we also pray that, and ask you to pray corporately what is God speaking to you about the fellowship here in the church, And then we come together and share. And I love it. Year after year, it's been this way. And it's written down so people can't deny it. You come in, it's pre-written down. They'll open their book. What book did the Lord give you to read this week? Many times, 70%, 60% of everybody was given the same book and we hadn't even talked about it. Love that. That's just a moving of the Holy Spirit. Love when, when they're writing things down individually, you know, Little by little, like a couple years ago, little by little was for us. We knew little by little what the Lord was doing faithfully. Not to get ahead of God, not to get behind God. That was what the word the Lord had given us for this church, corporately, right? But individually, it's been amazing, you know, uh, purifying, to be holy, to be set apart. The way God speaks, and you start to look at everybody else, you know, oh, what did the Lord, and we share. People just go around, nobody has to, but people go around, and they share, and they read right from their journal, or what was on their heart, and there's a... (laughs) dare i say there's a similarity and a unity of the holy spirit in that and it literally it always makes the hair on my neck stand up because i'm just i'm always amazed how god could go into the individual's life so faithfully and speak to 100 200 300 400 people and then individually we all come together and we share and it's a similar vein it's a similar idea what god is. I i just it's supernatural It's supernatural. And don't don't cheat yourself for that. If you've not done that, I encourage you, join in and fast with us. It starts this Monday. We'll break it on Friday together at 5 o'clock. Please come out and break it together. It's important to be here. And then we share these things, and it's just like, wow, okay, Lord. And then every Sunday, what do we do at 6 o'clock? Prayer. That's the last thing we see. That is what made up the early church. That's what they did, and that's what we do. So we come back to our passage. We'll finish out here, the book here this morning. He goes on and says, continue earnestly in prayer and be vigilant. The idea is wakeful. In it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us and God, that God would open to us a door for the the word to speak the mystery of Christ. He already explained what the mystery was. Verse 27 and 28 of chapter one. It's him. For which I am also in chains. Now, I love this idea, open us a door. In Revelation chapter 3, we see a similar language with the faithful church. That's the church of Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things who is holy, who is true, He who is at the key of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Speaking of the door and God's will and that no one could do that. I love that, the way that ties together. It said, Meanwhile, praying also that God would open to us a door for what? Here's Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's asking for an anointing. He's asking for boldness. He's asking for opportunity to speak the mystery of Christ. That, that was all that was on Paul's heart, for people to get saved, to come to know Jesus. He says, that's why I'm in chains. Christ is an offense. That I may make manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. He says, be careful. Walk in wisdom here. Be smart. Those that are outside, those that aren't believers, those that don't know God, watch the things you say. Watch the things you do. Be careful. They're watching you, right? Redeeming the time. Again, that idea of Ephesians 5.16, you know, the idea isn't just to be all or nothing. The idea here is redeeming the time because the days are evil. It's saying that we would Take the time and we would be circumspect or we would be um, aware, constantly being filled, constantly being prepared to be used. That's the idea of redeeming or redemption of the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. What is salt? It's a preservative. So as we speak to other people, may we preserve and encourage them. The idea is it stopped the rotting process. When you had, they didn't have refrigerators back then. So when you had a piece of meat, you would coat it in salt so that it stopped the decay and rotting process. What we read here, he says, let your speech always be with what grace, so that it can be seasoned with salt, so that it stops the in, the rotting process for the individual on a spiritual level. It's speaking here, that you may know how you ought to answer each one, right? And I just. I love that passage in 1 Peter 3.15, where we read, um, he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Be able to give a defense for why you believe what you believe. That's what he says here. Then he goes into this passage here, and you know we read, you know about Tychicus and a beloved brother and it's his salutation here is his closing argument and when we look at the persons involved in the correspondence of Paul Tychicus was carrying the epistle to the Ephesians right Epaphroditus carried the epistles to the Philippians Epaphrophus carried the epistle to the Colossians and Onasimus, or Anasimus carried the epistle to Philemon or Philemon or Philemon um Epiphas apparently was the plant church, church planter, as we read early on in the introduction, on Colossae, for he shared the gospel with his friends, right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. He also had ministered in the Hierapolis as well as Laodicea, right? And we see that, we're going to read that in verses 12 and 13. And Philemon had a church meeting in his home. We can read that in Philemon or Philemon in chapter 2. It's likely that Aphia... If you looked at Philemon in chapter 2, many people are wondering how we tie this together because we read Aharipas here. He's mentioned in this verse. That was actually his wife and his son, okay? Many people believe that was his son, uh, the son of Philemon. So it reads like Aharapos was the pastor of the church, as we're going to see in verse 17, and in a similar Pauline context or syntax, 1 Timothy 4.16 We read that same kind of idea in language because Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. So if we compare these prison letters, since we're closing this out here this morning, just for us to all understand, and then I'm going to read these last final passage here, just so we're kind of keeping with the chronologic, you know, the the chronology here. Paul, at his time, at this time that it was written, Paul was in Rome. He was in prison, right? Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through chapter 28, verses 31 he met a runaway slave named Onesimus, right? Onesimus, who belonged to Philemon, one of the leaders of the church of Colossae. Paul led Onesimus to Christ. He then wrote his letter to Philemon and asked his friend to give Onesimus and receive him back as a brother in Christ. He was a slave. He was actually a slave there. And about that same time, Epiphras showed up in Rome because he needed Paul's help from what we had just been reading in this entire epistle here, okay? And Epaphras, uh, as we're going to read in verse 13, he remained in Rome, and Anasimus and Tychias carried the, Paul's epistle to their destinations, as we read in Ephesians 6.21 and Colossians 4.7.9. This is all free information, just so you understand how this all ties together if you're tracking with me. Ephras called Paul a fellow prisoner, a title that he also had given to Aristohas, as we're going to see in verse 10. And when we read Philemon 23, this suggests that Ephraim was willingly uh, willing to remain with Paul and to assist him, and these, these men were willing companions of Paul, okay, sacrificing their own comfort to help. So with that, let's close out the letter here. Takias, a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me, all that was done, right? Especially as this letter would go to Ephesus as well, because they would share those letters around the area. I'm sending him to you, for you this very purpose, that he may know your circumstance and comfort your hearts. With Onasimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, that's how we know he came out of Colossae, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here, which are happening to Paul while he's in Roman prison. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, notice that, my fellow prisoner willingly, with Mark. Isn't that interesting? Remember Mark, Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 40? He had a falling out with Paul. Remember that, John Mark? In the past, but you know, here's the thing. He's in prison. He's got a lot of time. The Lord's ministering to his heart. Grace changes everything. He was able to forgive. Grace changes everything. He says, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. Okay. And Jesus, who's called justice. Again, Jesus, a kind of common name at that time. Isn't that interesting? I mean, when you think about Paul, his life, he went through his third missionary journey, all of that happened. He went to Jerusalem. Here he is in prison. There's only three men that he lists that are faithful with him. Actually, he's going to list a couple more, Demas, and he's going to mention Luke. But in particular, in this area, these were three fellow Jewish workers. That's all he listed here. I mean, there wasn't a long list. Sometimes when you're wondering, is it just me, Lord? Is it just me? You know, you and Jesus are a multitude. But sometimes you are going to have to stand in that gap alone. I mean, that's just the reality of what we see in the salutations closing here. He says, Jesus, who's called justice, These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Just think about that for a minute. The hundreds and thousands of people. But they didn't last. They didn't make it. Why? Well, we're going to read that in a minute. Who are of the circumcision. He's speaking of Jews, okay? Not the Gentiles, not not Luke or any of them. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, again, Colossi, a bond servant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Do you see how he says that, laboring? It should be, you know, great prayer requires labor that way. That you may stand perfect and complete in the will, in all of the will of God. What a great prayer, right? We should be praying that for others. That each and every one of you, for each other and for brothers and sisters, that we would all stand complete In all of the will of God. For I bear him witness that he is a great zeal for you, and that those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis, because that's where he was going around that circle there. Luke, and here's how we know first of all, you know he was the inspired author of what? Acts, and also what was uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, right? But he's a physician. This is where we learn that Paul had many illnesses. You know, I kind of laughed. I was like, Lord, when you called me into the ministry, I didn't think I was going to follow in Paul's footsteps like that, whether it's Lyme, disease or all these things you end up, Lord, come on, right? But he literally had a full-time physician with him. Luke traveled with him. He was in need of a full-time physician. Uh, We don't know, you know, what the thorn in the flesh was, but he just said he keeps finding himself in need of physicians that way. So if if you're in ministry or you're serving or you're doing, you're like, man, why do I... You're in good company, all right? Pastor Paul's with you there. But here we read about somebody very interesting. Demas greets you. Now, you might be thinking, what's the big deal about that? He was still with them at this time. Yet, when we read Paul's last writing, 2 Timothy chapter 4.10, we read, as we'll get there if the Lord should tarry, that Demas had forsaken Paul and Christianity, and he had gone back to the world. He hadn't gone back to the things of the world, the priorities of the world. I think this is a stern warning for us not to get too comfortable in this world. He says he greets you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and uh, Nymphis. We're not sure if this is a male or female, we believe it's a male, but in other manuscripts we read it as a a female, that she was the one that hosted the church in her house, right? Not that she was the pastor of that, but back then they didn't have buildings, they had houses you would gather and you would meet in houses that way. So she or he, we believe it's a he, but it could be a she, hosted the church that was in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the the epistle from Laodicea. We don't have that epistle, do we? Some believe, and most scholars actually believe that epistle for Laodicea that they're describing, because remember, what epistles were written at the same time Paul was writing this? To Colossae, there was three. Do you remember? Specifically three in particular. We call them prison epistles. You had... Philemon. And what was the other one? Ephesians. We believe this is the letter referring to the letter of Ephesus, or the Ephesians letter, that he calls the letter to the Laodiceans. It's interesting also in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we read about this church, Laodicea, and it is not listed in good context. And say to Ahapus, take heed to the ministry which you have received from the Lord that you may fulfill it. He was given a stern correction here, wasn't he? He was the pastor in that church, apparently, and can you imagine, you know, you hear your name, all right, you know, we're all gathered. If I knew ever, you know, I said any of your names here, and oh yeah, you're paying attention, you're tuned in, and then all of a sudden, it's not in a good way. It's, hey, fulfill your calling. Buck up, huh? Right? That's what he's saying here. Stop screwing around. Buck up. You know, fulfill the ministry you received from the Lord. This salutation, by my own hand, again, somebody else would have written this, but he's now signing, and he's now, it's a custom of that day. Paul, remember, now look what he says here, remember my chains. One of the last things he wanted to leave them. Remember my chains, remember my suffering. It's all worth it, whatever I endure. It's all worth it in Christ Jesus. Grace be with you. Amen. And and I say that this is only possible by God's grace, that we could endure like the Apostle Paul. Next week, we'll begin a new letter, a new book, the first epistle to the Thessalonians. I think it is apropos for the last days because we're going to go through some prophecy as we continue to go through that book, especially, you know, chapter four, well, even chapter two, four, five. It's one of the only three places that you will see mention of the rapture. There's only three places in your Bible that mentions rapture or the idea behind it. We're going to go through and we're going to study it. Everything else in your Bible, Matthew 24 and all, all, those are talking about a second coming. So we'll look at those things in context, read ahead. Um, go ahead and stand. We're going to pray. And uh, I, I didn't mention, I mentioned this on Wednesday, but when we got the flock gathered, I wanted to just let you know if there should ever be an emergency or something goes on, I, I remember I've said this in the past, but I want to say it again to you so that you all hear me loud and clear. You know, we're living in these times where we're hearing about things that are just difficult and um, things are changing very rapidly. I think it's fair to say that everybody would agree things are changing rapidly in these last days. If there's ever an emergency situation or something where we hear of an emergency going on, I want to encourage all of us to meet down here at the church that we can come together, invite your loved ones if you choose to, and we can pray together, we can be together, we can worship God together. Like, I don't care if it's Iran saying we're shooting missiles over. Look, man, let's worship God on the way out. How about that, right? Maybe we'll just, right, boom, right with the Lord. And I'm serious about that. We also have food and things like that that we've pulled together that should there ever be a need or you need help or whatever, we have things that we can also bless you, take care of you that way. Um you know, that's what the church does. That, that, you know what? When you're not playing Christian, right, and you're not playing church, that's what it looks like in Scripture. And I just want us to honor that. And I never really got a chance to talk about that. And if something in the, you know, the inauguration, we saw D.C. crawling with all the you know, National Guard, pray for them. But you know, I thought, boy, I never shared that. If something would have gone down, I would have wanted us all to gather here at the church and to be praying, to be seeking the Lord. Um, you know, we need to look up because our redemption is drawing now. Okay, friends, this isn't something to frighten us. There's nothing to be scared of, actually. It's wonderful. Let's go, Jesus. I'm all about the the Jesus plan. So um, be encouraged, be excited, because our redemption is drawing nigh. Father, you have just overheard our hearts. Uh, Your word has gone forward. I pray again, Lord, you'll seal it and anoint it in the hearts of the believers here. Uh, I thank you, Lord, for your holy word, and I thank you that, Lord, we are not without hope, Lord, we are full of hope because, uh, Lord, just as you were faithful to see this Church of Colossae through all, Lord, that they've gone through, whether it was the heretics, the um, Gnostics, or any of the lies that were being spread by the Judaizers, Lord, the philosophies of man, Lord, Jesus is all in all, and we believe that, and we we subscribe to all of that, Lord. And we also Do remember, Paul, Lord, as he said, remember my chains. God, we know there is suffering and affliction that will come to the Christian, and we know that we're not the first ones to have gone through it, and we won't be the last. We pray for your strength here this morning, that you will strengthen us and fill us. We love you, Lord Jesus. Strengthen us for this fast. Speak to us, Lord, like you've never spoken before, please. Speak to all our hearts through your word. Let us press into you, Lord. You've made a way, and let us now come to the table and eat and sup with you. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you. I love you, and have a great week in Christ Jesus.